The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I thought, uh, given that it's close to the new year, <coughs> that just to uh, take a moment or a day, an evening, and reflecting on the essential principle behind our practice, this path of awakening taught by the Buddha, but really, actually, it's just basic human common sense. And every once in a while, there's a person that is able to talk about it in a powerful way, in an articulate way, and then we make it an ism. But it's really just human common sense. How functional it is, how beautiful it is to learn how to connect, and how destructive and disorienting and painful it is to live a life of disconnection, which is, let's be honest, often what we're doing is, you know, with distraction and with habits of superficiality and obsessiveness, we are practicing being disconnected. And if we do that enough, it's actually a little scary to connect because it's unfamiliar. <laughs> you know, we don't really recognize what it is to connect, even to the body. I mean, all day long we've had this body sensation, right? But how many actual moments have there been just today where there was this very clear, conscious connecting, opening, trusting, whatever the body feels like, it is how it is. So we say yes, because not that it's the body experience we want, but it's the body experience that we have right now. And it's stressful to say no to it, you know, to close off, to think that it should be another way when it's actually already this way, or to feel like someone's to blame. This is the real, you know, this is the real deal or the real life to get up and uh, in the morning and to resolve that today, more than I would otherwise, I resolve, I intend to be, to connect. So whatever arises, whatever experience, pleasant, beautiful, unpleasant, difficult to handle, neutral or ordinary, whatever experience comes my way or shows up in the space of this mind, this awareness, it's my resolve to say yes. Because otherwise, quite literally, we're saying no to life. No, this isn't the life I'm supposed to be living. This isn't the experience I'm supposed to be having. That's a pretty arrogant thought you know, to have when we think, no, no, I'm not supposed to be getting sick or this isn't supposed to be happening to me. And you can just start experimenting with the empowering joy of connecting and the disempowering sort of suffering of disconnecting. All the little and big ways we practice disconnecting 
in all the little and big ways we can practice the opposite of connecting. It doesn't matter what you call this connecting. You know, in Buddhism, we might call it being mindful or being awake. You might just say, I'm opening or I'm accepting or I'm being real or I'm actually interested in what's coming up, what's arising, what's being felt now. Or I'm being truthful. I'm being honest about how it is for me now. So there's lots of ways we talk about it, but the real point, <clears throat> the real question is, have we made that a central value in our life before any other value to connect? And the, the trouble is, if that isn't our first and foremost value to connect, all of our other values that we're trying to establish or live out of, they don't work so well when we're not connected to be kind. Well, you can't really be kind unless we're willing to, willing to connect. Like, it's like we don't even know what to be kind to or with. We need to connect. And then in that moment of being connected, being open, being intimate, then we can choose, we can recognize how beautiful it is to be kind with what we're connecting with. Otherwise, it's just theoretical. You know, it's like, I'm kind, but it's just an idea that we have, I'm kind. That's not actually kindness. It's the thought, I'm kind, or I want to be kind. Real kindness is to connect and then to trust that connection. That's kindness. To allow the connection with the breath, with the sound, with the sight, with the touch, to allow it, to sustain the connection. That's kindness. That's compassion. It's really the essence of everything that's good. Ajahn Chah, one of the great uh, Thai meditation teachers, Buddhist monk in the last century, says if we're still following our likes and dislikes, we haven't really begun to practice. And when we reflect on today and any day really, we see that mostly that's what we're doing. We're just chasing our likes and dislikes, struggling to manage our likes and dislikes. And it makes a lot of sense. And it's hard to even get a little space like to Stop that. Like even if you get yourself to a meditation center like Common Ground for a set and you're actually sitting there, even then there's all this sort of subtle manipulation around our likes and dislikes. You know, it's like subtle. Like, and we know we're not supposed to move a lot, but we move a little like, I kind of like it more this way or this way, you know. And then, oh, there's a sound over there and it's like, or, oh, that's a nice sound of birds over there. So even though we're not acting out in a big way, we're just still struggling. Oh, I like that thought. Oh, that's the sweet spot with the breath coming and going out. Not too rough, not just right. So we're really chasing our likes and dislikes most of the time. So you can think about connecting as an alternative 
to being pushed around by our likes and dislikes or living our life where it's all about likes and dislikes. Like a different value. Are we here on earth with this body in mind to pursue our likes and dislikes? To what end? Right? And then we die. Right? We pursue our likes and dislikes and then we die. Is that why we're here? Or are we here to practice connecting as a way of understanding what this is? It's really a good question, you know, to clarify and really illuminate the kind of life we're living. To, because unless we sense and to it like the kind of life we're living, we won't have, a, we won't have any clarity of whether this is the life this kind of way, this way of living, whether it, it feels right, makes sense to us, we trust it. So, being pushed around or pursuing our likes and dislikes, if we're fortunate, we, you know, we have more getting what we like and less getting what we don't like. And if you're an unfortunate person, we say you get more of what you don't like and less of what you do like. But like I mentioned, it doesn't really lead anywhere. Like as an 80-year-old being pushed around by our likes and dislikes, it's not that different than being a 16-year-old being pushed around by our likes. I mean, the likes and dislikes may be different. You know, when we're older, some basic comforts, may, you know, being regular might matter a lot, whereas a teen it's not such a big deal or something like that. But the being pushed around by likes and dislikes is pretty much the same. But if instead, if we cultivate a different value around being intimate, really connecting with the experience in the moment, and by connecting it, it precisely means learning how to go beyond the conceptual overlay that we basically live with or live under the influence of. Sometimes I've heard a particular teacher call this, you know, experiencing or being with experience unmediated by language or by our mental images or thoughts or concepts. So what is, like you take a particular either pleasant experience you have in your life, crawling into bed at night, hanging out with a good friend, playing, whatever you play with. Or a particularly difficult experience, being in traffic or being around somebody who's irritating for you. What's that experience not mediated by language? What is it in its rawness, its immediacy, its directness? Like even now if you have a little hip pain, a little knee pain, or you're a little restless or a little sleepy, What's that experience, right? We can check just right now with our, the experience of sitting, the bodily experience of sitting. So what's this experience without the story that we have or an, uh, any mental image that we have? What's the actual the experience of physicality unmediated by thought or language? It's really our life. But it's interesting how common it is for us to want to reject it. 
That's not much of anything, right? Isn't that, doesn't that come up? That's like, that doesn't seem important. And you see what a, a hole we've dug ourselves where we're much more interested in our thoughts about our life than our actual life. I mean, that sounds a little like, I don't know if you know Kafka, but like one of these sort of existential nightmares where we've taken this turn, where we've mistaken our thoughts, stories about life to be our life, and therefore completely miss our life. And of course, when we're disconnected because we're in our thoughts about our life, things feel really shallow and unreal and unsatisfying. So what do we do about that? We think about it. We think, why? Why does it feel so unreal, unsatisfying? Why are things so hollow? But it's because we're mistaking our thoughts or concepts, images, for the life itself. <clears throat> so this is a good <clears throat> theme for us to clarify early in the year. And then just to be inspired, like, you don't have to believe me, but you can just Explore, is this a value worth valuing, putting front and center? And you can, it isn't like excluded, exclusive to just your formal meditation time. Maybe you get an hour a day or you get 30 minutes a day or you get five minutes a day. But it isn't just about that formal time when you're sitting relatively still, training your mind to be open, to connect. But we can be practicing this all the time like right now. Are we, <clears throat> right now, just honestly, you don't have to confess out loud, but right now, are we actually, can we actually value being connected? Opening. And remember, connecting ha- is an all-inclusive. Because when you're connecting with one part of an experience that you're having but not the other, it means your experience is still being mediated by language. Like this is what's important to be connected to and that's not important. That's a thought. right? So actually connecting isn't being governed by a thought about what you should connect to. Because this moment, the way it is, it's already presenting itself right here. So we don't have to pick and choose. Right? You get that? So now when we look, are we, do we have, do you sense any value in this being connected or this willing, willingness to open? Right? Or often there's a sense of like, no, no, I, I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm trying to get to the moment that I'm willing to connect to. Which means we'll get good at getting to the moment we're willing to connect to. We'll never get there. We'll always be in the mode of getting to the moment I want to connect to, becoming the person I want to be instead of being the person I am, living the life I have, connecting with the moment there is right now. So a couple thoughts from the tradition that really helped. And this came out of the retreat. Some of you here were on that year-end retreat. We do it, I think this is maybe our 23rd year since the 
I guess December of 1993 was our first year-end retreat, so a long time ago. And uh, so since Saturday, uh, the 26th in the morning we started, and we ended on the 31st at 12 noon, so about five days. About 40 of us were practicing. And we had this theme of patience. And one of the traditional teachings in the Buddhist tradition around patience has to do with these three qualities that are, I think are all about connecting. So one, and really it's the first move, like as we're cultivating this value of being open or connecting, going beyond our conceptual proliferation, you know, the obsessive thinking about everything. So the first is... <coughs> And it's really born, and this is not something you have to create. We just have to find it in our heart, this reverence for life, you could call it. I mean, it starts, of course, with our own, comes right out of our survival instinct, right? Just, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. And then as we tune into that, we notice they probably don't want to hurt, and they probably don't want to die, too. Right? I mean, that's not that far of a stretch when we look around the room. Every sensitive being in this room wants to be safe, wants to be happy, wants to be protected in the same way that I do. So this willingness to connect, the first sort of even opening to it, it really comes out of this deepening of this value of, Compassion. In Buddhism, there's this teaching, it's the words are hiri otapa, this basic self-respect. But it's really this not wanting to suffer. Like aspiring to not being a suffering being and appreciating that other beings are aspiring, attempting to not be suffering beings. And so you notice that concern, that wholesome concern or that real care, it causes me to slow things down. Like, oh yeah, I'm in this world where it's really easy to step on toes and bump my head and create the causes for suffering. Isn't that true? It's very easy for us to do things that cause ourselves and others suffering. So what do I want to do? I want to slow down. I want to connect. I want to sink in a little bit more in the moment because of this value of not wanting to cause harm for myself or another. Now, we do this naturally, don't we? I mean, if you're, maybe this happened to you over uh, the holidays where you went home and there are people you love but have a really hard time being around, (laughs) like, and, uh, but we really don't want to, you know, we could say something, you know, we could argue about politics or we could, you know, have certain conversations and there could be this real break between, you know, son and, and parent or daughter and parent or siblings or whatever, couples, you know, partner. And so we, what do we do? We become a little bit more patient, a little bit more connected. And why? Because we care because we don't want to set emotion suffering for ourselves and others. 
And you see how authentic a motivation this is to connect. So you're not connecting because somebody told you to. The Buddha says you've got to open or be mindful with the present moment. So I better do that. No, we, it, it needs to be this natural movement toward being real, connected, open. Because we've learned that not being connected, it's easier to make mistakes. And when connected, when intimate, when really here, when we're talking, when we're moving, when we're living our life, if we're really here, we avoid making as many mistakes as we would otherwise make. This is just so true. I don't think anybody would argue with this, but we have to, we have to actually remember that we care. It's got to be front and center. So this is a practice. This is something that we all can do all day long. We can wake up in the morning and we can bring that to mind. You know what? I care about suffering. I really don't want to set emotion the causes for suffering for myself. And you know what? I also don't want to set an emotion for other people. Even the people I find disagreeable, when I really think carefully, I don't want them to suffer. I may want them to stop being disagreeable, but I don't want them to suffer. When we do want people to suffer, like we want revenge, it's only when our mind is clouded you know, with anger and we're confused, basically. But when we regain some wisdom, we don't want people to suffer. We may be, they may end up suffering as we or somebody stops them from doing what's harmful. But it's not that we want them to suffer. It's just inevitable given that they won't stop unless we do this. And doing this, they're going to find that painful. So we can just start there in the morning. I really care about my well-being and the well-being of others. I'm going to be full of care. Even when we use the word, be careful, it sounds so parental. So we've got to change the word sometimes. So you know, I really want to be full of care. I really want to be connected as I live my life, as I drive my car, as I choose what kind of food I'm going to eat, as I consider how I might be relating. I really want to be there. I want to be more and more sensitive reading more of what's moving, what's happening, so that my response, what I say and don't say, really is appropriate to the moment. It's skillful. Right? So that's the first step in caring, or connecting rather, is to start from this place of caring. Because we connect because we care about minimizing the suffering. There is enough suffering. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. So why wouldn't we be committed to reducing the, the suffering? And the way to do that is to be intimate. Right? We have to be sens- we have to be willing to be more and more sensitive to what it is that sets emotion suffering. We have to pay attention. We have to be willing to connect. And then the second part of this connecting, it just flows out of this, which is uh, about, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of an alchemy or this um, 
a little bit of magic even where so first we start by caring okay i'm gonna i'm gonna show up i'm gonna really like you're having a difficult interaction with someone that you love or you you know you just care about just because they're another human being could even be somebody you don't know like a checkout person but all of a sudden you got off on the wrong foot with this person and then you remember oh yeah i care so we settle in and then as we're settling in, because we care, we know that it's easy to make mistakes, say something, do something that causes ourselves and others harm. We're connecting, we're really there, present. And we notice we feel something. Like maybe we thought the person was being dismissive of us. Or we're just irritated by the bureaucracy of something. And it it's just, after a long day, pushes some deep buttons like of chaos and world's out of control and I can't handle this anymore. So this next step then is this, uh, to connect is this willing to go right to the center of what it is we're feeling. And generally it means right into the center of the ouch. Not the story about why the heart hurts or why this is difficult, but right to the ouch of it. It hurts like this. So when you're suffering, and I would ask you or somebody would ask you, how do you know you're suffering? You might say, well, I'm suffering because this person said this to me, and it's not fair. But when the actual answer to how do you know you're suffering isn't that, it's it hurts right here. And that right here is what we call the heart. It may actually be energetically heart, but it may not be that actual location, but heart in the sense of right at the center, right where whatever this body-mind thing is, right at the center, right where we feel, right? You can call it your mind, you can call it your heart, you can call it your center, but there's a feeling. So this next step, first we slow things down because we care, so we're connecting, and then to further that connection, we realize There's something here that I don't want to feel, that I don't want to open to, which means that's exactly what we need to feel and open to, right? That's how we know. It's because the habit energy is saying, don't go there. That's why we know we need to go there, because that's where we, that's what we don't know. So the whole point of opening, remember I said this at the beginning, opening is all-inclusive. So we're already to some degree open to the present moment. What's relevant isn't what we're already open to. What's relevant is what is being masked by our distracted distractedness and our superficiality and our obsessive thinking. That's what's relevant because that's what's missing. So the second part is, uh, it's interesting. The reason I said it's a little magical is you go, you aim right for where you don't want to go, and what you find there is not hell, but you find energy. There's an empowering joy, and it's not so much that there's joy there, but in not, it's more in the beauty and the fearlessness of turning and opening and connecting, that willingness to open, that willingness to accept, that willingness to relax is beautiful. 
and it's enlivening. And that's really important to know because that's, this is difficult territory to navigate. And the way we navigate is we get a sense between what is enlivening and what is deadening. So there we are. Let's just say it's a difficult. But this is equally true for an exciting moment of our life, not just for difficult moments of our life. But anyway, just to use the example, so you're having a difficult interaction. You remember your early morning resolve. I don't want to step on toes unnecessarily. I don't want to set in motion more suffering. So I'm going to slow down. I'm going to connect. And just start by connecting with the body because the body's a good mirror to what's going on in the mind, right? So we're just dropping in. We're willing to feel what we feel. And then we, with that first level of connection, we sense that my heart's already been hurt, right? There's something I don't want to see and feel. And so we hone into that. Oh, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's being felt. Can this be okay? Is it actually safe for me to open to this, to turn toward this yucky feeling? Right? And on the one hand, it's really unpleasant, but the opening to it is enlivening. So it's paradoxical, right? There's something difficult to connect with and to sustain attention with, to trust, to relax with, to let it do its thing. But the more and more we do that, the more and more energy there is. The energy of not running away from it, the energy of not distracting ourselves, right? And it's a little, uh, again, a little magical about like, we feel powerless, you know, as we open to something that's difficult to open to, we feel a little bit like a kind of humiliation or powerlessness by accepting what, you know, we're basically, uh, the flavor of what we open to is a little bit like a death, right? It has the flavor of, if I really relax here, if I really open to this, it's going to kill me. Some of you, I'm sure, have had panic attacks, right? And you know, if you've had a lot of them, so you've had time to get a little space around it and to actually be a little curious, it's just interesting, the center of the feeling of panic, right? It's like a little bit like, if I turn toward that, I'm going to die. That's the bluff we have to call. I mean, it's here and now, is the appropriate move to run or to turn toward it? And so this is where you know we say the easy way is the hard way. And the hard way is the easy way. The easy way on the surface is to run from it, you know, to get up and leave the meditation or to turn the radio on or to check our emails or texts or you know, fill up the space with thought, to do something, anything but to open to what we don't want to open to. And like I said, this is not so different when there's something exciting going on. To actually take the attention off the story about why my life is so great right now because something great is happening and just to settle and to connect with the experience of the body and the mind as it is, not mediated by our thoughts about things, 
it is really hard to do, even when it's a really pleasant or exciting experience. We somehow, out of habit, feel threatened by being intimate. And this is like such a tragedy that we human beings would be threatened by being connected or intimate with our life, with the conditions of the moment. So first, we train the mind to remember this basic reverence for life. I care about this life. I care about alleviating the causes for suffering. So I care enough to connect. I care enough to move through life as best I can being intimate because I don't want to set emotion more suffering than is necessary or than is going to happen. And then uh, with that deeper level of connecting, being open, being mindful, we notice the charge, the tightness in the heart, and we go there. Oh, this hurts like this. Let me open that door. Let me relax here. Let me look here. Let me feel here and learn to feed, quite literally learn to feed off of that empowering joy, like let it enliven our life. And otherwise we have to do really you know, strange things to get excited. We kind of whip up excitement by you know, doing extreme sports or you know, using sense treats, you know, exciting music or exciting food or exciting sex or exciting media or entertainments to kind of make life seem worth living. But what really makes life worth living is to heal all the unfinished business in our hearts, right? To peel away the layers and to open to what we don't want to open to, like the fear of death or the fear of humiliation or the fear or the pain of not being good enough, not being loved. All of these ancient deep, existential, uneasy places, mostly hidden away, right? So that's what we're going to find as we start opening those doors and going to where we don't want to go. And we find a lot of life energy. We just feel lighter and more free and more fearless and more loving as we, you know, operate as a human being with our relationships and all the ordinary things of surviving and thriving and trying to set good things in motion in life. And then there's an even deeper kind of connecting and liberation that comes. So we start with this basic, I care about life, I care about this life, and that inspires us to connect. And then we realize that the real joy, the real energy in life comes from this healing of going where we don't want to go. And it's, right, in this kind of work, in this middle kind of work, subtle is significant. There's not going to be a big sign, come here, open here. It's like it's going to be masked, right? And the mind is going to be deflected into thinking about it, worrying about it. And we have to develop a kind of intelligence that knows to go beyond the thought and to realize, oh, the heart's uneasy like this. Right? There's this niggly, wiggly, unpleasant feeling in the gut or wherever it might be. What's that? Well, can I open to that? Can I relax with that? And again, 
the radar is where you don't want to go, go there. Rest there. It might, another thing that masquerades or masks it is a kind of numbness. Oh, there's nothing there. Well, yeah, there is something there. It's called numbness, right? It's, you know, nothing significant. Oh, it's just nothing significant. It's just flat. It's just numb. It's just blank. Well, let me say yes to that. Let me connect with that. Let me trust it. Let me lie down and rest next to it and just see what it turns out to be. Can the heart accept this? Can the heart actually be interested in that numb, nothing's happening feeling? Like boredom. So you have to, sometimes you can ask yourself the question here, what's, what's really asking for attention here and now? Is there anything asking for attention? What's here but not being clearly seen, not being fully accepted? And then that really sets up this third level of practice, which is a more complete unification. Right? So the mind is now uh, not distorted by fear and greed. It's really clear, and it starts to experience a lot more freedom because now it's not me trying to heal my unfinished business. Now there's just everything happening on its own. So the deeper connection is an opening to sometimes in Buddhism we call it the unconditioned. Or one of the definitions I particularly like is the reality of non-grasping. Right? The reality of the mind or the heart not creating any friction. So it's just everything happening on its own. And that's the real fruit of this path of connecting or this path of opening or awakening or mindfulness. It takes us first to developing this deep, resonant care for life into moments of real joy as we open to what we don't want to open to and let things unwind, let things open up. Sort of a kind of a very deep therapeutic healing that happens in Dharma practice in this path of mindfulness. And then into states of even more profound freedom when we experience everything happening on its own and it's okay, it's always been okay, and it always will be okay. It's really hard to talk about this in words except that uh, the mind no longer needs things to be other than the way they are because there's the realization, <clears throat> the non-grasping, right? The reality of non-grasping is that it's okay. Because if it wasn't okay, we would grasp. It would make sense for the heart or mind, body-mind to get tight. Now, when we say it's okay, it's been okay, always will be okay, it doesn't mean that we're free from our responsibility to address suffering in the world. It just means that the addressing of suffering comes with the attitude that it's okay. It's okay to be a human being addressing suffering. We don't have to pathologize the messiness of the world to address the messiness of the world. 
We don't have to condemn the world to be a good human being. We can understand what it is and respond from that understanding, not from turning things into good versus evil, which is our basic story. Of all the stories we use to distract yourself, there's some version of good versus evil. You know, and some of them are relatively simplistic. I mean, how many millions of people have seen Star Wars, which is like such a simplistic version of good versus evil? So we really like that. But that, that basic story of good versus evil, well, what do we want to do with the evil? We want to hide from it. We want to bury it. You saw what happened in Lord of the Rings. They tried to bury that ring, but somebody found it. <laughs> right? So there's another path, which is looking at everything we hope for, all the good, and looking at connecting with all that we're afraid of. Connecting with it all. Letting it all in. Right? You know, it's like opposites, good and evil. When you let them all in, what happens? They resolve themselves. You're not left with good because when you have the idea of good, there's the idea of not good. So you have to let go of that story. We have to let go of this conceptualizing, this um, being influenced, affected by the conceptualizing activity of good versus evil, me versus you, all of the divisiveness of duality. And that's this third part of practice. And it just comes from learning to connect. And we start with the most ordinary things like connecting with the body that's sitting here or walking. Just use the body as your basic training ground for connecting. I care enough about suffering to be connected with this body right now. Because otherwise I might stub my toe or slip or step on somebody else's toe. You know, I care enough to pay attention while I'm driving, while, while I'm eating. I'm going to chew my food. It's just so much easier for the digestive organs to do their business if these systems do their business, right? So it's like connecting does all these practical things. It's basic health, the basic health of our intimate relationships. Nothing leads to divorce faster than practicing being disconnected from your partner, right? I mean, if, you make the, if we make that our habit in our close relationships, we can bet what's in store. It may be 20 years down the road or two months down the road, but if we practice not really being there when we're together, well, it's not going to be a very satisfactory relationship. It's much better to be really connected, even if it's a little wild, right? To be real, and honest. So I'll leave it here. I'm assuming in this room of a hundred or so people, there are a lot of stories and understandings around connecting or questions you might have. Remember to point the mic right at your mouth so we can hear you. Who'd like to begin? We have about 10 minutes. Yes, please. Pass it right behind you. Say your name if you don't mind. Uh, my name is Jeffrey. I was wondering, um, is is everything essentially moving towards your preference for for good? Because even sitting, 
and being quiet and, and accepting this moment is something that I consider a good, a good feeling or I get something good out of it. And my, would you say there's still an element of being sort of pushed around by those desires almost no matter what? Is that completely inescapable in a way? Because every choice is kind of, you know, driven by that. Yeah, it's a good question. Hmm. Now it's working. <laughs> I was wondering why I had to talk so loud tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what you're asking, and let me know if this sounds right, you know, just the role of desire. And there, there is a role of desire, but initially we personalize the desire. Like, there is what's good. There is the healing. There is the peace. There is the freedom. But that personal desire to get it actually doesn't support the getting of it. So this is the interesting thing about this path of waking up. If we understand the, from an ego point of view, if we understand the value of connecting, like what we actually get from practicing being awake, being connected, it will tease out the ego itself. Because the me who wants it and the me who thinks he's getting it actually gets in the way of connecting, which leads to the safety, which leads to the empowering joy, and which leads to the deeper liberation, those three steps that I was talking about. Right? When we're full of care, we get more safety for ourselves and others. When we connect more deeply, we open up to joy. When we connect more deeply, we realize a liberation that we can't even imagine with our thoughts. right? And so it's sort of a stripping away process. So initially the ego will be involved. There's no way, and this is what I heard you saying, there's no way to begin the practice without the ego being involved. That's how we got here tonight, right? We want something better for our lives. And then we get some teachings from the Buddha, and he says, well... Pay attention to the fact that you care because that will support, that will set in motion something that has amazing consequences. It sets in motion this desire to connect, to be connected, to sustain that intimate connection, that mindful connection. And then the rest will happen on its own because the feedback mechanism is natural. You don't have to be there driving. You just, the ego has to be there initially to, you know, initially it might be 20 years or 20 lifetimes, but eventually it gets weeded out just in engaging the practice. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Who's next? Yeah, Kermit back there. Um, you talked about moving towards the ouch. Um, I can tell you for a fact that uh, not wanting to do that um, can lead literally to suicide when you have a moment of clarity and you realize that none of the distractions are going to work. Um, my question is, um, is there something in us that has, has uh, and maybe this is related to the first theory you mentioned here, but is there something in us that is afraid of pure, unconditional happiness. And 
If there is, what's the antidote? Well, we have to... Um, we don't really understand what that is. I think what we're afraid of, though, is change, right? Even if our life is relatively miserable, it's still familiar. And mostly we're creatures of comfort, and being familiar makes us comfortable. Having things that are familiar makes us comfortable. And having things radically change, So, but it's a gradual path, so I don't think we have to worry about it so much. I think uh, that earlier point you made, Kermit, I think is important because sometimes when it's there is a lot of pain, we're not able to go right to the center. But like you said, we also have enough understanding that there's no escaping it. So there's a lot of spiritual life where we're orbiting the next place that's asking for attention, but we don't quite have enough confidence or faith to go right there because we, we're afraid it's going to eat us alive or something. But we have too much understanding to run because we know that running is just more suffering. So we do this touch and go or this kind of orbit, like we're in the vicinity of practicing, but we're not really doing it, but we're staying close. And that's okay. That's how we practice sometimes. And you might do a lot of reading. You might talk about the practice a lot. You might do a little moment of practice here and there. And the other thing we can do there is we can uh, reflect on what builds the confidence. For some people, it's study. For some people, it's being around other people who've uh, been practicing longer, and they have it's kind of tuning into their confidence, right? Other people, it's more of a devotional thing, like they they feel a lot of gratitude or a lot of appreciation. So there are people who can get really inspired by a, a leadership figure, like the Buddha, even if they don't know the Buddha personally, but the fact that somebody did this before me, I can do it, you know, that sort of thing. But, or just another thing that people do to develop their confidence is they work on that earlier level of, I don't know if I can open to that, but what I do know is I don't want to set in motion more suffering. So they're really working on that first level of living in a more harmonious way, in a way that has more care, more care about all of our choices in life, all of our relationships in life. So people at this level, they might uh, act in more generous ways or get committed to social change and addressing some of the systemic causes of suffering in our society like racism or economic injustice. And that, that sort of strengthens the confidence in being connected. And then we can go to those more personal wounds or places that are hard to turn to. So in a way, we're using skillful action, skillful engagement as a distraction. But that's a relatively wholesome distraction because we're building that compassion, that care, about suffering. And eventually that care about suffering will make us, you know what, if I really care about suffering, I need to look at this. And then we will. We'll find a way, however long it takes, to look at what needs to be looked at. Thanks, Kermit, for bringing that up. Other thoughts, questions that you have about connecting, opening your own experiences, what was difficult, what worked for you? 
I would imagine there's a lot of wisdom, right? What was hard to open to in your life that eventually you found your way right to the middle? And what was the result? Did everything go to hell? Yeah, please. You want to pass the mic over? Right here. I'm Paige. Um, I find judgment keeps me from connecting. So what's behind that? What's the feeling behind the tendency to judge? Is it a control thing or? That's a great question. Um, I guess it's just I I find it's it's a really blurry line between judgment and wisdom. Do you know? Does that make any sense at all? I mean, I feel like there are evaluations that I make about the world, and some sometimes I feel like it's rooted in wisdom, and sometimes it's just thinking I know when I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, is is it true that? It- that you are seeing that you're misreading it or is it that you're seeing some aspect of what turns out to align with the way things are but that you're adding either fear or judgment or hatred to the discriminating wisdom that's sort of seeing what's happening in the world. Do you see what I'm saying? So is what you're seeing turning out to be false or is what you're seeing turning out to be true but there's something extra. You're not just seeing the way the world works, but you're afraid of it, or you hate it, or you're judging it. Do you see? Which of those two? Say, describe, say that again. Say yeah, so, say. you know, we could, you mentioned about like you're opening to the world, and then you're finding it's not true. So I'm asking, I'm, I'm checking, is that really true that what you're seeing turns out to be false, like your interpretation turns out to be false. Is that true? Or is what you're seeing actually true, but there's something extra? You're not just seeing like that life. Yeah. See, this is is a natural place in practice because as we cultivate being more mindful, more open, more sensitive, we're going to see more, right? And it's not easy to see the roots, the expression of suffering, of greed, of hatred, all the way that it is, intimately in our relationships with other people, but then just more generally through the whole world. So the question is, can this heart open to the disturbance of seeing the world as it actually is? Can our heart break wide open. We don't want to live in an idealist from an idealistic, you know, sentimental, superficial idea that the world is sweet. The world is just the way that it is. And there's clearly lots of injustice, lots of ignorance, lots of hatred and violence and greed. So if we're going to be mindfully aware, we're going to be mindfully aware of all of that. And it will be really hard to see in our friends, in ourselves, and in the world. But we want to see it everywhere. But we also want to see the good. 
that there's real patience, there's real fearlessness, there's people committed to truth in moments at least, right? There are people who are amazingly generous in moments. So we need to take it all in, all of it. And we need to do it in a way where we can be relaxed. Because if we're tight, we're not really taking it in. We're assuming that it shouldn't be this way. But can we open to the world as it actually is? So now you're close, right? Because you're able to start seeing some of the underlying truth of greed, anger, and delusion. So now the question is, is it actually dangerous or destructive to you psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically, to relax with it, relax with your scene? Or do you need the hate? Is the hate needed? Is it functional? Or is it unnecessary? Right? It's really hate and greed. It's just a defense to keep us from really connecting in a more deep way. And it seems like we need the hate to survive, but we don't. And when you see real leaders, you know, social change leaders, they have to learn <clears throat> not to rely on the hate. Initially, activists use hate. But at some point, if they're going to survive, they have to realize what a dead end that is. And they have to connect and engage, not with hate, but with love. And love is basically the same as connecting. It's like, it's not something one does. Oh, I love the world the, the way it is. It's like willing to let everything in is the love. And then our response, the powerful, clear response, comes from to whatever degree we've let everything in, then we can respond more wisely. Thanks, Paige, for bringing that up. And let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words, just enough time to take one or two breaths together. Just remembering as we end tonight that, in fact, we do care enough about this life and all beings, care enough to practice connecting and being intimate. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.